Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli, and this is Memory Card. I don't think it's actually formally been announced on the podcast itself, but we've uh, put out some tweets and some posts on Patreon, and we're kind of mixing things up here going into the ninth season. Push has decided to kind of take a step back from the show. He's extremely busy with his job um, over in Kyoto, and he just didn't need the stress of researching video game history and, uh, you know, having to schedule a time to meet with someone on the other side of the world, which is me. So he's going to be popping in here and there for episodes, but our episodes are not going to be as frequent. We're going to kind of space them out throughout the year, and uh, we're just going to make everything a little more chill. And, uh, you know, nothing's more chill than the amazing music of Jamatar, which is why we've brought him back. Hello. For the, I don't know, is this the third or the fourth time that you've been on? I think it's the third time. Maybe. Well, if we don't count the Virtual Boy special edition episode where he came and did a little concert at the end there. But yeah, Jam's here to help out. He's going to be popping in as well to co-host with me. And I thought that for this very first episode for season nine, that I would let him pick the topic and he could come on as the expert and kind of, you know, uh, lay down some knowledge. But before we get to that, Jam, what have you been doing? What have you been playing? Actually, it's it's good that you mentioned the Virtual Boy because I've been getting into game emulation recently. Oh. On uh, third-party hardware, you know, there's like emulators that look like Game Boys. Yeah. And I actually downloaded um, Wario Virtual Boy to play it just to see what it was like. That's like the best one. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's so weird to see like what is kind of like a newer Wario but it's still like really retro and the music's all still really retro. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also really fun when like, you know, you see the ball like swinging in and out of the screen and you'll just watch it on a TV. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wow. Yeah. You're like, wow, that, that would have looked really cool <laughs> yeah. if I actually had a virtual boy. <laughs> I, I tried a virtual boy once in Super Potato in Tokyo mm. and um, it, I couldn't even like get my eyes to focus on the screen. It was like so fun. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be great if they did a Virtual Boy Wario Land like remake that wasn't, you know, in that kind of horrible red, shades of red and black yeah. that it, it currently is. It's a fun game. It's really cool how you can like jump from the foreground to the background. Yeah. I thought that was like the coolest detail. I, I really want to try. I, I, I've got an Oculus Rift and um, oh, sorry, a, a Meta Quest or whatever they're called now. And <laughs> um, you can get a Virtual Boy emulator for it. I really, really want to try it out just to see like the 3D game, but not in a, in a environment that makes you want to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> it might, I don't know, that might make it worse. It might be like too much, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not the, the go-to for knowledge on VR. I've played very little of that, actually. Uh, I play a lot of VR, um, especially uh, like Half-Life Alex. Yeah, yeah. I was playing that all through. We had like lots of lockdowns. Um, in, in Melbourne due to COVID. And I was just playing Half-Life Alex the whole time and mostly in <laughs> VR the whole time. Um, running around uh, our lounge room, just screaming and Alice is sitting on the couch watching, <laughs> just staring at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like a bikini attacked by head crabs. <laughs> it's a pretty short game though, right? You just like replaying it and yeah, it's, it's very, 100%ing it's like, it? Yeah, it's uh, 16 hours. It's oh, like, okay. It took me a couple of weeks to get through. Yeah. I thought it was going to be really short and I also didn't realize that it's, an, it's a horror game. Um, I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be a fun adventure game. And then it's like, no. Oh, Lord. <laughs> full horror. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how well I would do with that. I don't usually get like motion sick or anything, but I, you know, 
I'm just recently been able to watch like scary movies. I don't know if I could be that immersed into yeah. a world. It'd probably freak me out too much. <laughs> there was a lot of screaming in the middle of my lounge room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, we chatted about earlier. I've also been playing um, Neo Geo Pocket Color, which is like yeah. a system that didn't really hit much in Australia. I mean, it didn't really hit anywhere except for uh, maybe Japan, I yeah, think. Yeah. Because it was quite late. It was like 99, right? Yeah. Around that time. Yeah. I feel like I, I must have told this story on Memory Card before, but at this point, I'll, I'll tell it again. I, I, have a Neo Geo Pocket Color and I got it from a friend in high school who just needed a ride home <laughs> and they were like they got I dropped them off and they were like do you want like a couple of bucks and I was like no nah, I'm good and then I was like wait do you still have that Neo Geo Pocket <laughs> Color from like when we were kids and they were like yeah like it's like somewhere like in my like you know bedroom closet or something and I was like can I have that <laughs> and they were like yeah sure man like cool I don't I don't ever play it so I have it and if you ever see a Neo Geo Pocket Color and have the chance to like actually put your hands on it hmm. you got to play because it has like one of the best uh like joysticks it's like super super clicky yeah, yeah. looks like a thumbstick what, what games do you have on on your one very few i have uh metal slug and i have like a neo geo versus capcom fighting game mm-hmm. and then there's one other one that's like so unremarkable that i can't even recall what it is yeah but it's just those three i've, I've never actually like got into many of the other games yeah the the fighting games on it are legit like they're fully like playable and and really quite responsive i've been playing sonic nice which is really fun because it's also a really really it's like really modern it like feels like playing like sonic 2 or sonic 3 Mm -hmm. but it's all retro because it's like playing it on a game boy color yeah yeah, it's just like really cool. It's it's a really nice little little Sonic that I've never played. Yeah, surprisingly smooth, yeah. like handheld in general. So you know smooth, what I mean? Yeah. Like all the games, yeah, really good. Yeah. All right, I suppose we should actually get to the topic at hand. So yep. uh, let's let's hit the uh, the theme music. Hit the button. Bip bip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that was the theme music that was composed by Jamatar. Good job, yeah, man. Thank you. He did that in the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Actually, all of the... So, the topic of today is going to be, of course, audio and music. And uh, I thought I wanted to chat about something that maybe I grew up with, which was um, the 16-bit era and mostly uh, Super Nintendo and Mega Drive and the audio around the systems and how they worked. Okay how people composed for them. And I actually stayed up last night just making sound samples that I'm going to play for, <laughs> for everyone. Amazing. Which was a mistake. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll just make some like music. And I was like, oh, music takes a long time to, to do. <laughs> so wait, did you, you made some like actual tracks, like new tracks for this episode? Just just some like, little jingles. So Wow. I didn't even know that. I thought you were just like taken little bits of other songs and just like going to play me little sections of them. Oh, well, I wanted to be authentic. So I've got, I've got a mega drive on my desk Dang. that I use to compose music. That's actually like all hooked up to MIDI so I can play it live. And I've got a Super Nintendo plugin that's very authentic by a company called Plog that um, you can load the game ROMs into the uh, plugin and rip like the instruments from it, uh, which is also very, very fun. Wow. I'm, like extra ultra excited for this now. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure. So firstly, 
I thought I'd ask a question for you, Ben. Okay. What are your favorite soundtracks from the 16-bit era? Well, you, you asked me this a couple of days ago. We kind of talked about, you know, what would I need to uh, have ready to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'll be honest, people who listen to this show know that I was not a Genesis kid. I did not grow up with Genesis. I, you know, it's not really my brand. Mm-hmm. But uh, so most of my 16-bit favorites are from the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you're going to play some songs for me. I'm going to play some sounds for you. Now, I did not compose these. I had to put that out there. <laughs> these were not me. These are classics. Yeah. And so, I, I made some files and I sent them to you. And right, they just say like jam guest number one. So, I'm going to have you play them one at a time. And if you know it, you know, either the game or the exact track, you can tell me. Otherwise, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay, cool. So, play that first one, and then you tell me what you think it is. All right, here we go. Oh, this is very familiar. Is this F-Zero? It is, yes. Ah, I'm actually surprised I guessed that. I've only played F-Zero for a little... A bit of time. Right. But have you played Super Smash Brothers? No. No, really? No, I'm not I'm not a Smash Oh my gosh. Smash Brothers person. Yeah, I've tried, but I just never got into it. That's a, I mean, this is a big one that they tend to uh, you know, like they, they remix it, they redo it, they yeah, orchestra yep. and everything. So this is the track Big Blue yep. from F Zero. I mean it's just it's got like that super like pumping energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have F Zero as a kid, but later on, once I learned of this song, it was just kind of one that I like to put on and just kinda groove to in my bedroom <laughs> or when I was, you know, working on a piece of writing or something. Yeah. The songs are good. And yeah, I, I've got a friend at work who was um he keeps telling me that he's just waiting for an F-Zero, you know, reissue or remaster or something. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, what was the last one? Was it on GameCube or on Wii U? Yeah, I want to say it was. I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, there's been rumors, but it nothing... Uh, or possibly the Game Boy Advance was actually the most recent one. But, yeah, it's been a real a real long time coming. Yeah. All right, the next one, it might be easier. It's pretty iconic. I the Only the last one is a little hard to place, but go ahead and try the second one. Soothing. Oh yeah, yeah. This is um, this is uh, the song name is Giant Step from Earthbound. Yeah, I don't. Is it? I don't think it is. Is it the one? It's the one from the the very first town. Oh, what what's the town called? I thought the town was called Giant Step because it was like the first. No, one. It's it's called On It or Won It. I honestly don't know. I should look. At I want it. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Is it Won It? Yeah, yeah. Giant Step is like the second stage, right? Okay, yeah. Because that's when you're like out in the, the desert. first time. You, yeah, that's found such an amazing composition. It is, and like the instruments, the the way that they did the mixing on that, it's it's like really you can tell it's like quite a late SNES game because uh, yeah. the the music production, everything is just like so well done in that game. Yeah. It's it's and it's one of those games that like I love but I don't have the patience for. Yeah. And so I always like only get through the first like one or two towns before I give up. And so yeah. I hear this song a lot and I'm like, yeah, it's my jam. At least I got to that. Like <laughs> I ended up um playing it in an emulator and then just putting cheats on so I could finish it. Nice. Because it was so hard by the end of it. It is. I mean, there's a reason why it came packed with a player's guide in the United States. Like yeah. it's not 
easy. But I'm sure we're going to get a lot of like hate mail. Like, yeah, <laughs> not that hard. Like, no, that last boss is, it goes for ages as well. Yeah. All right. Last one. Now, I'm going to preface this. This is a familiar song, but it's not from the game you think it is. Uh, okay. All right. Here we go. So this is, that's very interesting. So is that from like, uh, like Mario RPG or something like that? Cause it's, it's from no. Mario 64, right? It is. It's the castle theme from Mario 64, yeah. but it's not actually from a game that has Mario in it. Ah, yeah. what's the game? It's uh, Donkey Kong Country 3. Oh, that's, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's so, funny. so this track is actually called Wrinkly 64. Yep. And uh, Wrinkly Kong is the like grandma ape that helps you save in the Donkey Kong games, at least the second and third one. Yep. And if you go into her house in DKC3, yep. she's playing the Nintendo 64. Uh, <laughs> and that's the song. And that's, that's what it's plays. Like, yeah. It really blows my mind when like, you know, there's such a console like crossover of time periods like yeah the game boy color was out when like the n64 was out right yeah that was like the same era and it's so such a disconnect and game boy advance was out when like gamecube was out and i mean my parents got us donkey kong country 3 almost like in lieu of uh, nintendo 64 yeah. you know nintendo 64 is like the hot new thing it's expensive like they didn't really think it was like necessary we had a super nintendo and all these games like why you know move on to the next thing so they got us this and so when i hear this song even in mario i think of donkey kong <laughs> country 3 because i that's like i heard it all the time yeah. and then i got a nintendo 64 a few years later and then i was like oh look you know yeah it's that song from donkey kong <laughs> yeah so so interesting that's cool because we're gonna we'll get into a little bit of uh, console history okay perfect as well later down the track they were all trying to extend their lifestyle lifespans, right? Like Mega Mega Drive had the 32x, and they all had CD things, and yeah. Then the, they were trying to do a CD thing with Sony, and then that that all comes into it later on as well. So, um, like, what do you like about that kind of music, especially the snares, that sound, right? Like you said, you were, you would listen to it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like like Donkey Kong Country one, two, three are kind of my go to like chill out soundtracks. Yeah, I don't know. There's something something very like calming about it but also it can get like really like upbeat and um it just seems like there's like a great range of types of tracks and like emotions that uh this music like makes me feel yeah it's just it's different than like uh you know orchestra score or something for like a modern game and you know what i i honestly can't put my finger on it maybe you can but yeah just something about it and and there's nostalgia in there too yeah it's definitely snes was the first console with a very, very developed sound chip in it. And the reason why it's still so listenable, like I find Mega Drive music is really hard to go back to and listen to because the technology at the time, there were no effects, there was no reverb and no like echo and the panning wasn't very good. And so it sounds very like harsh and very direct. Whereas SNES music, they came out after Mega Drive came out, like two years after 1990. And so... They had a lot more um, technology at the time. So right. you, you said the range of music you could get out of that system, Mega Drive was very, very limited, whereas SNES hmm. had just a lot of breadth, a lot of uh, ability, and um, the musicians that used it to create music had a lot more tools at their arsenal like to actually create 
different sounds and create different moods and yeah stuff like earthbound as well like really really push that that um chip to its limits to get some really, really interesting sounding music that's you know still iconic today mm-hmm. yeah whereas mega drive maybe not so much I don't want to uh, steal anything from your potential history facts, but the Super Nintendo chip was made by Sony, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, well, well, let's let's just go into the history. <laughs> okay. The uh, the Mega Drive came out in 1988. Sega had a long history of making arcade machines and pinball machines, and they tried to get into the home console market. They had the I think SG 1000, which was like their home unit which was like the precursor to the master system and the master system was the competitor to the nes mm-hmm. and then they wanted to really hit hard and get the drop on nintendo and so they brought out the first like really popular 16-bit console system the genesis on the mega drive depending on where you were mm-hmm. but that came out in 1988 really really you know early on and so um they uh partnered with yamaha for their audio chips because all of their arcade machines used Yamaha audio chips and all of their pinball machines used um, Yamaha audio chips. And uh, I think they had a Yamaha audio chip in some of the Mega Drive uh, master systems that came out. Hmm. So they they were like, it's the obvious choice. We'll just go with the tried and tested Yamaha audio chip. But that's a really, really old chip. <laughs> it's so <laughs> limited in like what you can get out of it. It does one thing. It's, a, it's an FM synthesis chip. And it's the kind of audio chip that you would find in like a Yamaha DX7 keyboard piano. So like if you if you want, that's a very technical name for a keyboard. <laughs> but if you've ever heard Michael Jackson's Bad album, yeah, that is nothing but like Yamaha DX7 samples, like the bass sounds and the plucky like hmm. brass sounds, all that synthesizer. That's all Yamaha DX7. Oh no wonder, no wonder he wanted to work on Sonic Three, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> it's. It's such a it's such a distinct '80s sound, and it defined a lot of '80s pop music. And so, I, I guess that Sega were just like, "Yeah, I mean, we want our games to sound good. '80s music sounds good right now, so let's just go with that chip." And that's the way we they went. But when Nintendo were bringing out the Super Nintendo, they weren't like super pushed to bring out a new console. NES was doing really really well. They weren't in a big hurry. They weren't losing market share. I think when Mega Drive came out. It was. It didn't really hit hard until the mid '90s in the US. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It only outsold Nintendo for like a really, really small amount of time in the mid '90s. I think it was a single year. Yeah, but all the rest of the time they were like lagging behind. They were always catching up, and so Nintendo were never worried. So they were like, "Let's just bring out our next gen console, you know, when it when it suits us." And so they partnered up with uh, Sony for their sound chip, the SP700 sound chip. And funnily enough, you know, we were talking about how they were trying to get longevity out of their consoles as they headed into the 2000s. Genesis were bringing out the 32X, they brought out the Sega Mega CD. Nintendo tried to partner up with Sony to bring out a Sony CD mm-hmm. console that was going to be the, the Nintendo PlayStation. Yeah. That was like this fabled thing until someone actually found one. Yeah. We did a whole, uh, we did an episode on it in uh, season one, all yeah. the way back in uh, 2019. We had a guest come on and talk about it. It's super interesting. I think it's called CD CD Deals. If you want to go check that one out, yeah, but yeah, it's it's a whole story among like within itself. Yeah, and and you know, Sony went on to make the PlayStation, and that sound chip is just an evolved version of the Sony sound chip that was in the SNES. It has all of the same capabilities. It has all of the same, like, effects and things, mm. just, like, on steroids and, like, with extra stuff. But it's it's very, very similar. I, I guess the thing to realize about this era was that 
you, you couldn't, there was no such thing as like CD audio. There was no such thing as like compressed audio. So if you wanted like a music file, it was like an MP3 or something like that. You couldn't put that on anything. You had to make your music from scratch. Wow. Using like electronic data that you could send to basically a synthesizer inside the console. Because there was no other way to make music that, you know, went for a couple of minutes and like was interesting and sounded good that you would want to listen to. I think the um, Nintendo 64 was the first console with the ability like playback MP3 compressed audio. And even then they couldn't use that a lot because MP3s were still like kind of big and, you know, uh, an N64 cartridge is still only like maybe like 16, 32 meg megabytes. Yeah. So that's not a lot of space. At some point I was speaking with Grant Kirkhope who did the Banjo-Kazooie soundtrack Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of the rare ones on Nintendo 64 And I remember him telling me that like it was like a huge deal that they had like 12 different tracks that they could have like going simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. On the 64. And that allowed them to do the like transitions in Banjo-Kazooie where you like walk from one place to another and it kind of like fades from one type of music to another. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was it was a big deal. Yeah. All of these systems are super limited on tracks. Uh, Genesis only had six audio tracks that you could use. So only six sounds could play at once. And usually like two of those tracks were dedicated to sound effects. So if you think about like Sonic, you know, the sound of picking up the rings is like one channel, the sound of jumping on a TV and popping it, that's another channel. And if you've got music playing and you're stealing channels, you can, you'll hear it on retro games. Sometimes you'll do a, a Game Boy is like famous because it only has like four channels. Mm-hmm. You'll like do something in the game, like shoot a gun and suddenly the drums will drop out of the music because <laughs> <laughs> they're sharing the same channel. I never thought of that before. Yeah, my, one of my favorite like YouTube soundtrack things that I always listen to is this Game Boy game called Barai Fighter. Uh, it had this really awesome music and one of the comments is like, uh, I would always stop shooting just so I could listen to the music <laughs> because otherwise it would steal all the, all the channels. It's awesome. Uh, and yeah, Super Nintendo had eight channels of, of uh, audio, which was like a big step up from the NES, which only had four, I think, four or five. And yeah, it, it was each of these consoles had a synthesizer inside it. So the Genesis had an, a Yamaha FM synth inside it. The SNES had a Sony Wavetable synth inside it. And it was so based on like the time. And you can hear it like only a couple of years difference is like a huge leap in technology back in like the 90s and the late 80s because there was just new stuff coming out all, all time, all time. And so, yeah, the Mega Drive sounds really like raw and distorted and punchy and plucky, but it doesn't have any effects. Whereas the snares could get like really lush and ethereal and you could hear effects on it. It would sound very orchestral. Hmm. It's like Squaresoft going to SNES for like Final Fantasies. I mean, they had a relationship with them, but like that match of music hardware against the kind of stories you'd want to here i've been exploring some like um some mega drive genesis like rpgs and it's always interesting to hear the music in these rpgs because it's not very not very good it's quite a challenge to, <laughs> to make something that sounds kind of orchestral on the um on the genesis because it's so limited in its sound hardware hmm. so i thought i'd play a little game okay i sent you a few audio files and i think it's five of them and we're gonna guess which system they're for oh just by the sound of it okay and uh, some of them might not be super hard. Some of them will be. <laughs> so you want to start with number one? Now, are these actual tracks that you made or are these ones from games? Are these actual little snippets that I made using um, either game hardware or the plugins. That you made. Okay.
man. That was like swelling music. I got that's got to be Super Nintendo. Yeah, that's right. And you can hear like the Telltale um, Echo. It's got a very iconic Echo plugin. Oh, that they use to to create a sort of hall effect. Yeah, you can always hear it sort of trail out. It's got a very good unique trailer and there's also like a wine to it yeah not like a bad wine but like a good wine yeah the way that the samples repeat is very um the you know the this they you could actually i'll get into it later we'll talk about it after we do because <laughs> yeah otherwise i don't want to give it away hey but that was yeah but that was really good thank you i i can't you know i'm a big fan of you but uh yeah all right next one here we go oh this is very yoshi's story <laughs> it's very like nursery rhymey. I like. I think that's also Super Nintendo. Yeah, and you picked it. That's the um. That is the instrument from the intro of Yoshi's Island. Nice. Oh yeah, Yoshi's Island, not Yoshi's Story. There we go. All right, number three. Let me pull this bad boy up. Oh, I see a big spike in this one. It's about to get intense. Ooh, interesting. like i might be cruising the mean streets with this one i'm gonna say genesis for that one yeah that's right and it's you can hear the lack of effects i think on it yeah it's not as stereo as Super nintendo but it but it you know it still has like a cool buzz to it yeah there's something that something about it that still feels like i don't know i like it all right number four It's uh, it's very groovy. It kind of gives me Kirby vibes a little bit. Mm. Mm, that's hard though. That's the hardest one yet. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say Genesis. Yeah, that's Genesis as well. Yeah, nice. I was trying to um, mix up the instruments to. Yeah, but there's not a lot of instruments on the Mega Drive. Yeah. All right, last one. This one's got a lot of up and down. It looks like. Oh, baby. <laughs> that sounds like it is this like intro screen to a game that's based on like a sitcom yeah <laughs> like, like home improvement or something uh yeah. i'm gonna say genesis on that one too that one's uh snits. really but very very snazzy sounds huh the the tells are that um so FN synthesis, which is what the Mega Drive uses, is very, very good at making uh, plucky sounds, stuff like basses and hmm. um, keyboards and like marimbas. It's like perfect at, huh. but anything outside of them, it's terrible at. Whereas the SNES is like really good at sample-based stuff, but because you can load samples into the SNES, people would sample FM synths into the SNES and try and get it sounding, hmm. you know, kind of like the Mega Drive um, sometimes because that was what was popular at the time. Hmm. And sometimes game developers would be developing games cross-platform. So you've got a third-party developer, let's say like Capcom, um, porting Street Fighter 2 to multiple systems. Right. You have a composer who's working on that music or maybe the music exists already for like the arcade machines. And the um, Capcom uh, arcade machines used a Yamaha sound chip. 
And so when, you know, the Nintendo team uh, or whatever company is porting uh, Street Fighter 2 to the Super Nintendo, they're trying to match the original experience, which is an arcade machine with the Yamaha sound chip. So what are they going to do? They're going to sample the <laughs> Yamaha sound chip into the uh, Super Nintendo right. to try and recreate it. And you can actually go on YouTube. If you like look up YouTube, open up like three tabs, type in like Street Fighter, uh, I don't know, Chun-Li's level, arcade, OST, and then like Genesis OST and then SNES OST. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to compare them. Now, I don't know if you mentioned this, and I'm sorry if you already did. What did most of the arcade machines use? Uh, they were kind of all over the place. Depending on the company, there's a really good Wikipedia page where you can look up a list of sound chips that was used across different systems, and there's all different technologies. Hmm. And so it depends on the company and like who they wanted to partner up with, because obviously there's like competing companies. So if you go to Sony, you're not going to go to Yamaha, because Yamaha and Sony are like competing again for like right. on lots of like different areas. You've also got um, Hudson who are making audio chips. You've got Panasonic who are making audio chips. Like they're all these different companies are making audio chips. So maybe like if you've got a good deal with Sony and they're making a processor, you might go, hey, can you also make us a sound chip? And they might like throw that in or something. I don't know how these <laughs> things work. Yeah. But um, yeah, so like arcade machines, some of them really quintessential ones used Yamaha chips. I think like stuff like Neo Geo used similar synthesis, but I don't think they were Yamaha. I can't remember. Hmm. But then, you know, when they went and made the SNES port, they would be sampling all of these original instruments, um, but they just wouldn't sound quite right. Whereas the Genesis actually has a synthesizer inside it, like a proper FM synth. And so... Like the Street Fighter 2 soundtrack sounds legit on that system because it's like so close to the arcade sound. Oh, I see. So even though it was like technically a lesser, you know, system in terms of audio quality, it like matched up better? Yeah, that's right. It, it was um, it was just a thing at the time. And I think that Genesis really like aged because of its sound chip as well. I think the graphics on the Genesis were always like... They were a bit rawer than the SNES because the SNES was newer. That's right. But the music really aged it. It aged it in not just in its technological like limitations, but also it's like just the the era that it came from. If you're if you're playing eighty, I don't know if you feel this way, but I always felt like sixteen bit era like music, game music, especially like Mega Drive game music started to sound really like aged by like the mid nineties. Like you're listening to like eighties music in the nineties. Hmm. So Sonic three came out in 1994 and that was like three years after like Nirvana and Nevermind came out hmm. um, in 1991 or 99. You know, you've got this like full like funk eighties soundtrack uh, <laughs> at, the, at the same time. It was like all this grunge music coming out and it's, I feel like the Mega Drive like started getting dated really, really quickly hmm. because of like its vibe. It's feeling. I mean, and, you know, I just feel like that's kind of video game development in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's people who are having discussions now that are saying that, like, dialogue or music or graphics, like, don't look like they should for, like, this day and age. But, like, these games were worked on, you know, for years and years before they actually came out. Of course, they're going to be, you know, kind of like a product of their time. They're never going to be exactly you know what's like hip and what's the most advanced at that exact time that they release yeah and i guess a lot of people just don't think about that they're like well it's new yeah so it must line up with what's you know current but it's not it's you know tech that's years old technically yeah yeah that's right like you've got a you've got a chip in the mega drive that's like really good at slap bass mm-hmm. and slap bass went out of style like really quickly uh, but it's like that's all we got <laughs> we got slap bass <laughs> 
<laughs> so they put slap bass on it. Slap a dab bass, man. <laughs> but um, like composing for these systems as well uh, in the real early days, like when Mega Drive hit the market in America and the developers would have got it, you know, uh, maybe like a year before, the the dev kits that they got, the, the things that they got to use to compose for these systems. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, you're making music in the 90s. You're probably writing music on like a PC or a Mac or even an Amiga. A lot of people use Amiga to, to make music. So you've got your music in like a MIDI file, which is basically like sheet music in electronic form. How do you get that into the console? And how do you get that into like your game software as well? So composers often had to be uh, composers. They also had to be software programmers as well. And then if you've got a hard console like the the Mega Drive to design sounds for, they also had to be a synth programmer because there was no like, it's not like a you've got your toy keyboard and you've got presets in there. A lot of these early systems, they weren't like that. They didn't give you the hardware with like a set of instrument presets that you could load up. You had to design all your sounds from scratch. And so it was really, really hard for like American composers to originally write music for the Mega Drive because you had technological roadblocks you had to get across. You had to program for this weird sound chip. It was just really, really hard to like create music. So you'd hear some games that like sounded really bad on the Mega Drive. Mm -hmm. And that's because it was just so hard to to work out how to get music on this thing. And so um, I think Sega of America brought out this program called GEMS. So GEMS stands for Genesis Editor for Music and Sound Effects. And it was a piece of software created for Western developers to make it easier for them to write music for the Mega Drive. Mm -hmm. So you you could take a regular Mega Drive and put like a cartridge in the top that would have like a computer data port in the back. You could plug your computer in and you could use a DOS program and like pick from preset instruments and um, you could load in your MIDI and then convert it for the Mega Drive for its channels and all that stuff. You could load in some samples. So Mega Drive could do one channel of samples and five channels of audio. And that's usually how you get your drums. So drums would be like sampled from a drum machine or whatever you had at the time. And the rest of it, you would just like pick instruments. So you just pick from a list of bass bass instruments. Hmm. And there were a lot of games that started sounding really the same. Like you'd hear a bass sound that would be like the same or a marimba sound that would sound the same across multiple games because <laughs> the, the Mega Drive was so hard to program for that audio chip. And if you've ever seen an editor for a um, FM synthesizer, it isn't like something your brain gets. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a bunch of graphs, like doing maths. It's got these these voice os- oscillators that you have to multiply together and you've got to like layer stuff and do envelopes of like sound and mm. it's crazy. It's like you're looking <laughs> at like a science project. So if you're, not, if you're a composer that's not familiar with developing for FN Synth. Is that you, the way that you did it when you made your little samples? Yeah, well, I've, I've got a um, FM editor on top of my Mega Drive that I actually built and wrote and I learned a lot about FM synthesis. Wow. <laughs> it just like, it's a really complex sort of system even if someone came to me and said hey make me an oboe sound and i'm sure game developers would do this you know you'd have your your game lead be like i want that to sound a bit more like an oboe and you'd be sitting there going how do i do that like <laughs> looking at this graph with maths on it like how do i make that sound like an oboe so like software like gems would be a thing where you could just go to the oboe preset and i think a lot of third-party developers made their own music software for Mega Drive and SNES just to make it easier to get your stuff from like your computer that you would use, you'd be used to writing music on over to these very specialized systems. So there was like software 
kit for for Mega Drive that was like a cartridge. There was like a big box you could get for uh, Nintendo. Have you seen any of the SNES dev kits? I feel like I have. They kind of look like gray, gray. They look like gray cube tower things with like SNES controller ports at the front. Hmm. Um, they actually had a MIDI socket in the back that you could plug music software into to get your stuff across. Wow. But yeah, Mega Drive was really hard to program for. SNES was a lot easier. It's still a hard system to write music for, but if you wanted to get the sound of an oboe, you could go to your keyboard that played oboe sounds and sample it into the software. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot easier. Yeah, heaps easier. So SNES opened up a lot of um, opportunity for composers to start getting software samples in. And if they had like a nice synth that they had, they could get those samples in. Getting drums in was was fairly easy in both systems by the end of it because you could load in samples. So I actually implore everyone, if you have Spotify, go to Spotify and look up a an album called Love Goes On and it's by a group called Dreams Come True. Have you ever heard of this, Ben? It sounds familiar, but I is it a Japanese group? It's a Japanese group. The album is from 1989. And all of the songs on that album are going to sound very, very familiar because the bass player and songwriter, Masato Nakamura, went on to score Sonic 1 and Sonic 2. Huh. And all of the music in that, the drum sounds, the progressions so much from all of their early albums. And I think when they were trying to write Sonic, they first went to a composer, but they weren't sure that they were going to make the edgy modern soundtrack that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So they just went to a regular music composer and said, hey, would you write music for um, the Sonic game? Hmm. And he, of course, like nailed it. (laughs) Sounds awesome. But you can hear a lot of influences and a lot of samples from the original album. You can hear the drums sound so similar. You'll hear those sonic drums <laughs> in context in the 1989, you know, Japanese J-pop punk outfit. Uh, you'll hear the big brass sounds. And I think that he did a great job, like, translating all of those sounds over to what is essentially like a synth that plays itself in, you know, your living room. Wow. So we talked about Genesis. It's got a, a sound chip in it, an FM synth. We talked about SNES having sample bass. So I've got some sound examples okay. that are sort of like show off the rawness and the synthesizingness of the Genesis and then the sampleness of the SNES. So we want to play the, uh, the first one, the Genesis one. Yeah. floating through space or possibly <laughs> underwater. Ooh, nice. I like that outro there. Yeah, so that, that track's got a few patches from Echo the Dolphin. Oh, that's why. Um, a couple from Sonic as well. It's got some bass from Sonic Sonic 2, I think. You can hear where its strengths are. It does really good, like, long samples that don't sound, like, really loopy. They sound mm-hmm. really smooth. And the bass hits really hard. It's got a really deep sound. And it sounds really, like raw and distorted that's a very iconic characteristic of that sound chip hmm. you can really like push it hard and it sounds really like a musical instrument whereas the snares couldn't get as raw but can just have a lot more versatility so let's listen to the snares one. Oh yeah this is a bop <laughs> Yeah, 
it almost sounds like a like a battle theme. Yeah, yeah. So that's using. It a does kind of uh, feel like F Zero. I kind of, I kind of felt like that was in there too. Yeah, it was using samples from the Final Fantasy VI battle music. Mm. Um, you can hear the bass, which is just a sampled electric bass, mm-hmm. maybe from like a keyboard or from an actual bass. I'm not sure. The orchestra samples. You can hear the strings. They sort of sound like they start going. Wah, 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 wah. You can hear it looping. <laughs> Because it's a very short sample, so yeah. you can't have this long evolving sound without hearing the sample loop. Yeah. yeah. So that's also a very iconic like characteristic of that sound chip. Hmm. It's a little bit like softer, maybe, maybe not quite as like distorted and raw. Right. You can really like overdrive the Mega Drive. You just like start pushing the like the volumes of each thing and never really like clips out. It just kind of starts distorting and it's really you'll hear a, a Mega Drive where it'll go <laughs> like this really noisy, like crunch sound to it. And that's like someone pushing the sound chip too hard hmm. where it starts like clipping on itself, but in a, in a data way rather than like a, a distorted way where the sound chip's like going so hard, it can't do the maths anymore. It starts like <laughs> glitching out or however it works. And the snares one is like, it's more like a, that's like an orchestral keyboard. It's more like a mm-hmm. composer's tool, but very, very versatile. You can get a lot of um, different sounds out of it. So as someone who grew up, you know, with the Genesis more than the Super Nintendo, am I right about that? Yeah, yep. But you seem to be saying that the Super Nintendo could do more and was easier and I don't know if better is the right word, but which do you prefer? I, I think that the Super Nintendo is really good to listen to like full tracks on mm-hmm. because it is so good at mixing those sounds together and putting effects on them and placing them. It's really nice to listen to. Whereas the Mega Drive, I really like using it in my music as just like, it's like a synthesizer that I would put amongst other tracks. Cause it's got a very distinct like cutting sound. It really like sounds very unique. Hmm. Whereas hearing like a whole track on it, I, I, I find it a bit much. <laughs> But it was fun, you know, you got to think about the context of these things. You know, you're, listen- you're usually listening to a console like the Mega Drive through like the one inch speaker that's in your, you know, tiny television that's in your kitchen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, these, these... Did people, did you play a lot of Genesis in your kitchen? <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a TV in our kitchen. Oh, man. Uh, we had the Mega Drive on top of there. <laughs> that's hilarious. Sit and play Sonic until my mom told me to turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're blocking the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Move. Yeah. Like none of these systems were designed for like hi-fi listening. And my friends all had SNESs and I had a Genesis at home. And I remember just like the first time playing like Link's Awakening and hearing that soundtrack where, you know, it starts off so cinematic, there's rain going, there's like mm-hmm. strings playing in the castle. It's so cool. That's it. It just achieved like a different kind of game. And I think I like that kind of game more than maybe a Genesis. Like I like Sonic but there's not a lot of other Genesis games I really go back to. Whereas, you know, I can play like Legend of Zelda, which, what's the one called? A Link? Link to the Past. Link to the Past. I can play that a lot. I can play all the Final Fantasies. I can play a lot of RPGs on SNES and really, you really feel immersed. You get hmm. you get this really nice feeling from the music. Yeah. But yeah, they, you know, they, they were... They were both hard to write for, I think, at the start and to like start pushing the systems and achieving the sounds that we we find really iconic. I know that David Weiss, who did the music for Donkey Kong, he's had a couple interviews recently where he's talked about um, making Aquatic Ambience, which is the mm-hmm. ultimate, you know, SNES 
track. Yeah. And he was listening to, he was saying, quoted, listening to Vangelis, Jean-Michael Gere and Gary Newman, all like really big synth names. And these were the influences that he took to writing <laughs> a song about a monkey riding a swordfish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's an ape. He's an ape. <laughs> he's an ape, sorry. <laughs> um, but he, he, like he, he, was, he talked about spending like five weeks on getting the bass line right for that song. He had a, um, a Korg wave station synthesizer that was very, a very complex wavetable synth that he would play in the studio. And he wanted to recreate that in the bass line for Aquatic Ambience. So if you, if you listen to Aquatic Ambience, like when you get to like a couple bars in after the strings swell, you'll hear like this really evolving bass sound that sounds very complex. It's like, do, 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 do. It does all these like really cool sounds. And he actually like programmed that in. He was like, I'm not doing this in MIDI. I'm going to program all of these samples morphing together to try and recreate the sound from my keyboard. So like he worked so hard on getting that really distinct sound, like pushing that system to its limits, essentially making, you know, uh, his own synthesizer patch inside the SNES, which is really cool. I mean, and I would say, in my opinion, that the soundtrack to Donkey Kong Country 2 is probably my favorite video game soundtrack of all time. Yeah, it's very good. In its original form, like not remixes or, you know, yeah, it, uh, it, new new scores. It's, it just holds up so amazingly well. It shows how much of, you know, the test of time the SNES has um, has withstood. And the fact that, you know, Sony used that very same technology going into PlayStation showed how, how good a chip was in the, the SNES. Yeah. And there's lots of, like, there's lots of, like, chiptune tools now you can get. I, I saw there's a new, like, cartridge thing you can put in the stop, top of the SNES and then plug your keyboard straight into it and play <laughs> stuff out of it. It's really, really cool. Amazing. You can get plugins as well for all the systems. They're really cool sounds, very, very iconic, very interesting to see how people used to have to write music, get music from their computers over to the to consoles. And then you would hear, you know, these people's hard work. And it wasn't just video game music. It was like people really cared about bringing their influences and their their composition style and pushing these systems to the limits to get these, these music tracks that you hear. Yeah. And that's what you do now. Now you make your own chiptune music, right? Yeah. I don't quite like you. I'm not using a single console to try and make true, a full track. True. But I, I like elements of like every track. I like how the Game Boy sounds and cuts through. I like how the Mega Drive evolves in its pads. And they're, they're really like good, useful, legitimate tools to use in music these days. I mean, every every sample that you made for this show is better than any music that I've ever made. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's true. So, you know, not that I've tried very hard. I'm not going to lie. I haven't really, you know, <laughs> looked into it. But it's still, you know, very impressive. Oh, thank you. So, hey, Jam, if people want to find more of your music or reach out to you, what's the best place? Yeah, you can go to jamatar.com and um, you'll find a lot of music that features the Game Boy in there. Uh, but pretty soon, hopefully, there'll be more music featuring the Mega Drive as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is the Echo Dolphin patches. That's um, also like hand programmed by Appalooza Interactive. They made their own like software to create the music for Echo the Dolphin. Hmm. And they, they wrote all of their patches from scratch. And these patches are beautiful FM synth patches. They're just like nothing you've ever heard. And it's so amazing because it's just, you know, it's a dolphin game. <laughs> but it was someone's labor of love. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we look forward to Jamatar the Dolphin. Yep. <laughs>
that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar, who you just heard on this episode. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R on Spotify, or visiting Jamatar.com. This episode was edited by audio superstar Mikey Yankovich. If you have any feedback on the podcast or want to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out via Twitter at MemCardShow. Or if you'd like to follow me, you can find me at SuperBentendo. We have officially shut down our Patreon for the time being, but I did want to give a shout out to the patrons who have been with us for a very long time, and that includes Jackson Bertoli, Pam Bertoli, Courtney Cotton, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Shala, Sandra L, Nick Callis, Jehoon Jeong, Sean Marafini, and Joseph Byer. All of you guys have helped make the show possible over the years. We're stepping back from the monetization part of this, but we just want you to know that we love you all very much. Thank you. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the show. See you soon. Bye.